0: So I don't know about you, but between all the things on my to-do list, between work and errands and commitments to friends and family, sometimes cooking dinner just falls off the list. And then I'm ordering takeout and spending a lot of money on something that I just, I wish I didn't have to do. And that's where Factor comes in. Their meals are delicious, restaurant quality, And you just pop them in the microwave for two minutes. And if you want, you can put them in a beautiful bowl, put them on a plate. But if you don't, you literally don't have to wash any dishes. I mean, need I say more? And they truly have options for everyone. You know, calorie conscious, keto, vegan, vegetarian. You can find something that fits your dietary needs. So save money on takeout, try factor, And see what all the buzz is about. So head to factormeals.com slash fugitive50 and use code fugitive50 to get 50% off. That's code fugitive50 at factormeals.com slash fugitive50 to get 50% off. The Bench.
1: Rose Graham is with her grandmother outside Hooked Up Bar and Grill. That's a spot on the North Shore, right on the Chifuncta River. Hooked Up is the kind of place that serves the staples of the bayou, fried catfish and crawfish etouffee. But Rose isn't there to eat dinner with Grandma. She's there working undercover for Ched's young protege, Johnny Domain. Rose is supposed to meet a drug buyer right there at the restaurant. She's sold to him before, and Johnny wants to check this guy out.
2: He said, make sure you take a picture of their license plate. I want to run it and find out who he is. And I'm like, okay.
1: This is fishy as hell, and it's not just the river. You see, Rose has been working for Johnny, but she's not really an informant. Johnny's been asking her to trust him because he's a cop. He's been twisting her arm and lying to her, but he's been doing all that to get Rose to sell drugs. Somewhere along the line, Johnny went from being drug cop to drug dealer. We went to Rose's house, sat down at the kitchen table, and talked with her about it. Rose says she never knew what she was doing. So you thought you were acting sort of like a...
2: Undercover cop or something, you know, doing a good deed for people. (laughs) I'm a dumbass.
1: This is January 2016. Booby's grand supplier, Jorge Peralta, is on trial at the federal courthouse in New Orleans. Ruby has taken the stand to tell the jury what Chad wanted him to say, that he'd met Peralta. This would later lead to perjury and obstruction charges for Chad. The shit is about to hit the fan for Chad and his team, but nobody knows it yet. Across the lake on the North Shore, Rose is there hooked up restaurant meeting a drug buyer. Her grandma's scared, so Rose says she'll go in first.
2: I'm going to the restaurant to
1: talk to him. You take the picture and come on. Her grandma snaps a photo of the license plate to send to Johnny. And if bringing grandma along is any indication, Rose is not a savvy drug dealer. She's in her late 40s. She's white and blonde. She drops a surprising number of F-bombs. But she looks like Paula Dean. According to Rose, that's why Johnny picked her.
2: He said, Rose, look at you. Who would ever suspect you? He said, you always present yourself. You carry yourself as a lady. He said, who would think you was selling
1: dope? Rose finds the drug buyer inside hooked up.
2: And they asked me, do I want anything? I, I said, sure, I'll take a margarita.
1: Rose tells him about some cocaine she's trying to offload for Johnny. It's not much of a sales pitch, but it's what she's got. That's it. I don't know if
2: you're getting pounds, ounces, grams, or however it goes. I said, it might be Comet comic cleanser. I don't know. I was just told to ask you about it.
1: They continue talking about what kind of dope Rose can get him.
2: And I drank a margarita with him. Why, well, he's, he had something in his hand, dumb me.
1: What did he have in his hand?
2: I think like a key fob or something. He kept flicking it, not paying attention. Like I said, I've never done anything or been in this kind of trouble before in my life, you know, so I don't know. He could have had a recorder on his face. I don't, I don't know.
1: Yeah, it was a recorder. Rose and Johnny are about to get a surprise. This guy she's trying to sell dope to, the buyer? He's an undercover state trooper. A couple days later, Johnny gives her a call.
2: That night, he said, we got to talk. I said, okay. So he comes and gets me. We're in his truck. He said, Rose, I think we fucked up. I'm like, we fucked up? What do you mean? He said, call, run, the license plate, and it's fucking state
1: police. Johnny tells her that she's on the hook. Johnny and Carl are implicated too. They ran an undercover cop's license plate in the middle of Rose's drug deal. Rose and Johnny are mulling it over in his truck when she gets a call.
2: The state police got on the phone, Miss Graham, you need to come home now. We're at your house waiting on you. You and Domain need to get here now.
1: This is the moment that Chad's A-Team begins falling apart at 85 miles an hour. So far, we've seen Chad's misconduct. It's complicated, entrenched in the DEA mission. It's hard to tease out the right from the wrong. Chad is about cutting corners to be a star agent. This next story is different. This is about Chad's hand-picked team, Johnny and Carl, going rogue. You've heard a lot about the system. Now let's tell you about the Dirty Cops you're gonna hear exactly what Johnny and Carl have been up to. And as a warning for listeners, this episode contains descriptions of addiction and sexual misconduct. Chad says this all happened behind his back, that he didn't know anything about it. Whether or not you believe him is up to you. Either way, Chad is screwed because this is the Fed's leverage. This is how they're going to get the A-Team to turn on him. I'm Feyman Roberts. And
3: I'm Jim Mustian. From Neon Hum Media and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen, Betrayal on the Bayou. Episode six, Cops to Canaries.
4: This is Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. I'm Steve Taylor, your host to a horror anthology podcast where we ask you to depart from your safe perception of reality to descend with us into the frightening depth and dark corners of twisted imaginations. With carefully curated original tales of terror each week, our deepest rooted fears are brought to the forefront by a diverse cast of voice talent and masterfully eerie sound design that bring these stories to life. We'll give you tales of unnerving encounters with the occult, harrowing hauntings, and sinister seances that show just how darkness knows no bounds. Make sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code program for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code program.
3: That night, after they get the call from state police, Johnny and Rose return to her house. According to a police report, When they get out of Johnny's truck, his hands are shaking. Johnny asks if he's going to jail. He tells the cops it isn't what it looks like. But of course, it's exactly what it looks like. Rose is arrested right there at her house. Johnny voluntarily comes along for questioning. And by the end of the night, Johnny is placed under arrest too. Johnny, a federally deputized task force officer, Chad's hand-selected protege is locked up for drug dealing. But soon, Johnny gets a proffer letter, or what prosecutors often call a queen for a day. That's an agreement to tell law enforcement everything he knows with a deal that the information can't be used against him later in court. Johnny, you
6: understand why you're here today? Yes,
3: we have these interviews between Johnny and the state police.
7: Meaning nothing you say in here will be held against you criminally. We we're just looking for the truth, and that's all we wanted. Yes, sir.
3: In them, Johnny sounds uneasy.
7: All, all we're interested in is the truth.
8: Yes, sir. The, the, the only thing that can hurt you today is to be untruthful, and, yes, sir. and we find that out later. Yes, sir.
3: Remember, Johnny's in his 20s, and he's had a rough time of it. His mom died a few years back, and his dad left when he was a kid. According to Carl, it seemed like he was lost. Over the past couple years, Johnny's become a rising star on Chad's DEA task force. It almost doubles his salary. And if Johnny continues to work hard, being on the task force would be the first step to becoming a full-time federal agent. But Johnny did some really bad shit and is now being called to task. Johnny's future is crumbling before his eyes.
7: Dude, say, slow down. Hey, Johnny, look up, But Nobody in this room is here to judge you, okay? There's no reason for you to hang your head. We're just having a conversation. We're trying to get to the truth, okay?
3: Johnny holds it together and tells them everything they want to know.
7: I guess let's begin with um,
6: your relationship with Rose Graham. How did you come to know Rose Grant?
8: We was making CI buys
6: from her.
3: This is the story of how Rose and Johnny met. An informant tells Johnny and Carl that Rose was selling pain pills from her house. It's not really clear whether Rose was in the drug game before Johnny came along. In any case, Johnny, Carl, and another Task Force agent show up at Rose's house with a search warrant. It's a small team.
8: Oh, well, it was just three guys. We knew they were middle class, you know, it wasn't much threat with them.
3: Rose and her husband had just come home from shopping, and they were unloading their truck. Here's Rose.
2: Unmarked cars, or whatever you want to call it, just swarmed us. they just come with guns just aiming at us. And my husband in 2013, he was in a bad accident, so he had half of a kidney and half of a lung. After they pushed my husband down on the ground, I'm like, whoa, ho that's my husband you just pushed. He only has half of a kidney. Stop. You need to stop. We're going to cooperate whatever you want. We didn't even know what the hell was going on at this point, you know?
3: Carl tells them to get in the house.
2: They close the door. Click, click, nine millimeters to our brains. I said, where's the money, the safe, and your guns?
3: Rose says that one of the officers put a gun to their heads. Johnny says it wasn't him, and he never saw it happen.
2: My husband said, oh, you already got us here. We're going to cooperate. Just, what do you want? We want you to lead us to your safe. Next thing I know, they're in my bedroom, just tearing it apart.
3: Carl and Johnny search while the third officer watches Rose and her husband. The third officer is young, around Johnny's age, and he has no clue what's going on.
2: He looked at me and he whispered, he said, this is bullshit. I'm like, what do you mean? He said, I don't know what they're doing, but this is bullshit they need to let y'all go. Carl
3: and Johnny find guns, prescription drugs, and money.
2: And then Johnny comes out and he said, this is our money that y'all bought, that was drug bought money or whatever he said. I'm like, I don't sell drugs, dude. I'm a rat holer. I save money. If I got an extra hundred dollars or two, I'll put it up. Next thing I know, I took that money too.
3: Johnny and Carl took a few thousand dollars they didn't pocket the full amount. Johnny says that was a strategy that Carl taught him.
8: He'd always turn in something, you know, would never keep the whole thing. He always said, if you don't turn in nothing, it looks crazy.
3: If they always turned some cash over to evidence, they could fudge the exact amount they seized. It was their word against an accused drug dealers. That made it easy to skim off the top. Next, they were onto the pills.
6: The narcotics,
8: what, what did y'all find there? Uh, oxycodone pills, uh, I believe Valium pill. In a large quantity? It was a good bit, yes, sir. What, what would you consider a good bit? It was over 100. So y'all took all of that? Yes, sir.
3: It's the same strategy with the drugs. They turned some into evidence so that it doesn't look suspicious.
8: It probably took 60 to 70 pills. Maybe more.
3: This story, how Johnny goes from the kid who had it tough, who people say will one day be a better agent than Chad Scott, to the guy stealing money and drugs, it only makes sense when you know a couple things about Johnny. The first, he never officially passed his background check to become a task force member, but he was allowed to start working
5: anyway. Here's our DEA long-timer, Skip Sewell. The sheriff's office has a limited budget to do backgrounds. It's not like the federal agencies who can do a detailed background. They do a cursory background and uh, hire Johnny, not knowing about his past. Johnny made a lot of cases working narcotics
3: for the sheriff's department, so Chad recruited him onto the task force. But a
5: federal background check takes a really long time. Say a task force officer gets assigned to DEA. He comes over from a sheriff's office. Well, the sheriff's office, I don't want to say washes their hands of him, but, hey, you're gone. You're assigned to DEA. He comes up to DEA, and DEA says, wait, not so fast. we got to do all your background stuff. You can't do anything until we get all this stuff done. And it can take months to do. In the meantime, you've got a guy that's not really supposed to be at his department, and he's not really supposed to be at DEA. So he'll come up there a lot of times, and he'll just sit for hours on end. But it's a bad design, and that's why Johnny was down there working with DEA on cases before he was ever sworn in as a task force
3: agent. And that slow process might just be an annoyance if nothing comes up in the background check. But in Johnny's case, they did find something.
5: While Johnny's background investigation was going on, we determined that Johnny had a lot of outstanding debt bad credit cards that he hadn't paid off, uh, student loans, all kind of stuff. Why is credit a problem? Because you don't want the task force agent dipping into the defendant's money when they arrest him to pay their bills.
3: Johnny had to get out of debt. And if he didn't, he'd likely get cut loose from the task force. Well, the A team had just the solution. They start cutting Johnny in. Carl sometimes takes money and drugs from people they arrest and distributes to whomever he thinks should get a cut. And he starts breaking off a piece for Johnny. Johnny says he has a cousin who will sell the drugs for him. They also have a bunch of wallets, guns, cell phones in their DEA desks. These are personal possessions they've taken from people they've arrested. They regularly root through this drawer to take a little petty cash out of the wallets. And Johnny starts getting a piece of that too. Call it corruption, but it's all intended to help Johnny fix his debt problems so that he can pass his DEA background check and get formally deputized. This abuse of power, it's called conversion of property in the federal parlance. They'll later face charges for it. They hide this misconduct from their supervisors, who at the time included Skip. Okay. So thing number one is that Johnny's in so much debt that it's putting his career on the line. Carl is giving him money and drugs to sell to help him fix his situation. That's bad, but it's not Johnny's worst problem. The state police follow up on the drugs from Rose's house.
7: Y'all took probably 70 or 80 pills and sold them? Yeah. Do you remember who you sold them to?
3: This second thing Johnny has been hiding from his team, he tells the state police.
8: I was taking pills when I was 15 years old. I took them till I was 23.
3: Johnny has been addicted to opiates since he was a teenager.
8: I graduated from college. I moved back. I told myself that was it. I was hooked on them. Uh, I started out with the sheriff's office, and then, uh, you know, I relapsed.
3: This is what Johnny hides from Carl.
8: Carl would hold on to the pills. I tell Carl they were from my cousin but I was giving any money out of my pocket to buy them.
7: So, so you, I was, you, you, were, yeah. you were buying the pills, but you weren't telling Carl they were for you? Correct. So Carl was getting pills from either a search warrant or a traffic stop, putting them in his vest, and then eventually selling them to you.
5: Yeah.
3: Back at Rose's house during the search, Johnny and Carl have taken her money and her drugs. And now Johnny gives Rose an ultimatum.
2: He said, you're gonna work for me. I'm like, work for you? What do you mean? He said, you're gonna work for me for one year. That's the reason why we're not gonna put you in jail. You're gonna keep your mouth shut and you're gonna do what we tell you or you will go to jail.
3: You might recognize this speech. This is an abridged, tailor-made version of the kind of talk Chad might give one of his informants. Rose, Booby, they're both off the books. Not signed up, but they're still under an agent's thumb. Chad uses the informality of their relationship to get the most out of Booby, Put a lot of drug dealers behind bars, pump up his stats, get a truck. And Johnny uses this power for drug dealing.
8: If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it.
7: Or is she just a social climber?
9: I was silent. Were you silent? Or were you silenced?
1: Is she a breath of fresh air? Or a master manipulator? That's what we're going to find out on my podcast, Infamous. Apparently ambition is a terrible, terrible thing. We'll look at what happened when two dysfunctional families came together.
8: It's the family that I suppose she's never had.
1: And how Meghan and Harry going Hollywood all went down. Only on the podcast, Infamous. Soon, Johnny starts calling on Rose to sell the drugs he's been stealing. Apparently, she thinks she's working as an undercover informant. Johnny gives her a giant bag of purple-tinged marijuana and some handy advice.
2: He said, you go sell to him, but don't let him look in your eyes. I'm like, huh? He said, don't let him see your eyes. I'm like, what the fuck? (laughs) I don't know what he's talking about. So I'm like, okay. Okay. And then we're dealing, and the guy looks at me, he said, hold up, take those glasses off. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I'm like, well, he said, you got pretty eyes. I'm like, bitch, go on with yourself.
1: For about four months, Rose sells marijuana and pills for Johnny. They're spending a lot of time together. Rose finds that she really likes him. When you and Johnny were getting closer, what did you see in him?
2: I wasn't getting the shit at home that I was pretty and, you know, just a nice talk or, you know what I'm saying? It just kind of made me feel good because I'm a fat and ugly woman. And this guy's cute and telling me all these nice things that I want to hear, you know, that I've been longing for. My husband and I was fighting. I was losing my grandbaby to uh, leukemia and my brother at the same time. And my husband and I, we just went off the deep end with each other. And we started fighting and Johnny led me a good game. I fell for his ass like a fallen... Damn break off of a 20-foot story building. Yeah.
1: You and Johnny had a romantic relationship? No,
2: no but it it could have been, but it never resulted. We never. Mm-mm. It got close, but not that close.
1: Johnny came to her house, stole her money and her pills, forced her to work as a drug dealer for him. And in response, she fell for him. It's a fucking mess.
2: After I fell for Johnny, I didn't hear from him for about a week and I kind of got depressed. And when he called me, he said, Rose, I need to talk to you. He said, Can you meet me? I think it was Christmas or Thanksgiving. I was making fudge or whatever for my holidays, you know, because I cook. I'm like, Let me finish my fudge or whatever I'm doing and I'll come. My husband got livid. You're fucking leaving and going to see him. And this, I think he done put it together, you know? And I'm like, Well, I got to go do this. That's why I'll just tell him, I got to go do this.
1: Rose leaves to meet Johnny.
2: And he looks depressed. And I'm like, What's the matter? He said, I fail. I'm like, are you okay? You want to go to the doctor? You fail. He said, no, Rose, I fail. I'm like, you fail. So what are you talking about? If you don't want to go to the hospital, or you, what's the matter? He said, I'm falling for an older woman. I'm like, well, I was, this pop's getting pissed. I'm like, who the fuck is she? <laughs> he said, you dumbass. I'm like, okay. And then we start talking. And he shows me this thing, a hard, white, round thing. It's got a dip in the middle. And I'm like, what's this? He said, something we can make a lot of money with. I'm like, what is it? He said, it's cocaine. And I'm like, okay. He said, once I do this and your year's up and my year's up, he said, I'm getting the hell out of this. He said, I'm tired of it. He said, I don't want this life anymore. I'm like, what kind of life? Because at the time I was still thinking he's the police and he's doing the right thing, you know? He said, I'm just tired of it. I want out of it. And I said, okay.
1: This is the cocaine that Rose would try to sell to that state trooper had hooked up. The day after that ill-fated margarita, a state trooper shows up at Rose's house while she's in Johnny's car.
2: Well, the next thing I know, my husband's calling me. Where the fuck you at? I'm bitching at him, I'll be home when I fucking get home. And the state police got on the phone, Miss Graham, you need to come home now. We're at your house waiting on you. You and Domain need to get here now. I'm like, yes, sir, and I told Johnny. He said, We fixing a fucking run. I said, The fuck yeah, I ain't running. I'm done. I'm done. At this point, I was done. I said, I'm going to take my leg.
1: They don't try to make a run for it. But not long after Johnny's arrested, the state police are already changing their focus.
7: How much time do you have on the job? Uh, three years. Three years? January 8th, 2013. The- The thing that I have a difficult time seeing, believing, that you created that monster in that short period of time. You're the young guy. You're the fish, okay? You were taught to do things the wrong way I saw. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay. But I can't put words in your mouth. I need you to explain that to us.
1: The day after Johnny's arrest, the state police asked Carl to come in for questioning. Carl's strategy is deny everything.
9: Have you ever
3: seen anything with Johnny? Heard him say anything, seen him do anything that that raised some concerns with you? You know, ever since I I, I heard he got arrested, I, I racked my brain all day wondering why he would do this. And I know Johnny had some money issue problems. And... That's the only thing that I could come up with.
7: He ever asked you for any, any financial help? No, I've actually offered the
3: man financial help. You know, he said, nah, he said, I'm good. I'll take care of myself.
5: I mean, I, I've been floored by it, seriously. I've been sick to my stomach all morning for him. Here's a young kid that's done everything going for him. We got on the DEA task force within two years of being on the job. Loves the job, and he does something like this. I don't understand. It.
1: Within 48 hours... The state police have a meeting with Johnny and Carl's boss, Tangipoa Parish Sheriff Daniel Edwards. We talk with the sheriff about how it all went down.
10: Basically, we're getting told this is what happened. This is how Johnny got arrested. And I remember a comment being made by one of the state police guys, that it says, you know, we've been after Chad Scott for 10 years, and this is finally going to lead us to him.
1: Remember when we said Chad made enemies in law enforcement? Well, it turns out some of those enemies are now investigating his team for corruption. And as soon as they get Johnny, it's an immediate bridge
10: to Chad. And I had to uh, interject and told him, I said, listen, uh, I'm gonna say this up front and, and, and in front of everybody. If the evidence in this case leads to Chad Scott or anybody else, I will help you, you know, get there and do it right. I said, but I think it's completely irresponsible within the first 48 hours of investigation to say where it's going to lead you, and I think that's problematic. And, of course, when I said that, there was a lot of backtracking going on, but it was a problem.
1: Chad still has friends like the sheriff, and the sheriff is not just any ally. He's the governor's brother. By now, Chad has caught the attention of the feds
10: all about
8: shutting me down. That's all it's ever been about. Because I work fucking circles around it. This is a
10: professional attack.
1: And they're trying to figure out if Chad is corrupt.
10: This is bullshit. I've been at this too long.
8: And I've never been accused by one defendant of any of this shit. Ever. And I arrest more people than anybody in New Orleans.
9: And I'm disgusted.
1: Could the sheriff and the governor also be mixed up in this? The feds are trying to figure out how high up it goes. The federal investigation we started this podcast with has just begun. Johnny confesses to a long list of misconduct. He knows a lot about Carl. They work together very closely. But Chad? Johnny has suspicions. But he didn't see much with his own eyes.
9: And
8: then Carl will kind of make statements about Chad. You know, that some of it's just greedy, you know. If we take some, it's just me and him. So he kind of isolated himself, where he only trusts kind of one guy,
1: which was Carl. The next step for the FBI is to break Carl.
3: Within a month of Johnny's arrest, the head of the New Orleans DEA is removed from the office and recalled to DC. Chad has moved far from his turf and reassigned all the way up to New Jersey. And Carl is arrested on counts of abuse of office and conspiracy to distribute cocaine. But the feds have a problem. Carl is not cooperating. He's not rolling on his longtime partner, Chad. So investigators need to learn all they can about Carl so that they can ratchet up the pressure. And Johnny is singing like a canary. Douglas Bruce from the DOJ.
10: If you can go back to the very first time or
8: when you first learned that Carl Newman was using drugs. That would, have been, uh, that would have been that New Orleans trip. It was early
3: 2015. This is before a lot of stuff. Before the team was aware that Johnny had ever used opiates. Before Johnny was cut in on stolen cash. And months before they raided Rose's house.
8: I almost to say it was a Friday night because uh, we just got done doing a deal.
3: According to Johnny, that other task force officer, the one around his age, was talking about going out.
8: He would like to go out, you know. I was more reserved, you know, I ain't going out. You know, Carl stated he'd go. Well, I said, well, you know, if he'd go, I'd go just because I was out the norm, you know.
3: Johnny says they're all out on Bourbon Street drinking. It's Carl, Johnny, the third officer, his wife, and a woman Carl is seeing on the side, who turns out is an informant. Dating informants isn't supposed to happen. Anyhow, the night gets weird. The tone shifts. Yeah, they're all kind of drunk, but it's something else too. Somebody had slipped ecstasy into their drinks. They rent a hotel room and somehow they all end up in the shower together. Ecstasy can blur the lines of consent. That's especially true if somebody slipped it to you.
8: I mean, to be on ecstasy was just, you know something's wrong, but you feel so good that you can't, you know, if that makes sense, it's hard to explain.
6: It's hard for us to say, you know, because I don't, exactly. you don't know. Exactly. Know. So feel it's like... hard to explain. You know you're drugged, yeah. but
8: the euphoria is so great and you're so excited, everything feels so good. Of course, when there's other women and there's other men in the room, you're going to be touching, you know, the females are going to be touching the men, women are going to be, you know.
3: It's hard to tell what lines were crossed that night. The third officer is up all night in the hotel room, thinking about what had happened.
8: Waking me up the next morning, you know, Johnny, we got to go, we got to go. I'm like, you know, what you talking about? You know, we got to get out of here, we got to get out of here. So hurry up and get dressed. The
3: third officer figures that they must have been drugged, And after they're out of the hotel, he tells
8: Johnny. I was more of the, it's gonna, you know, don't think like, you know, it's gonna be all right. And, uh, you know, I already had a relationship with Carl. I said, you know, I'll call him and I'll figure out what's the deal.
3: Johnny gets a hold of Carl and asks him what happened.
8: You know, I said, what's the deal, you know? Carl stated, you know, he put ecstasy in the drinks and all that stuff.
3: This point is controversial, Carl told us that he provided the ecstasy, but Johnny was the one who drugged everybody. But in interviews with the feds, Johnny was firm about it being Carl. When Johnny talks about it, he seems upset and confused.
8: The next morning, we were so shocked that we were drugged. It was almost embarrassing. You know, it was almost like, like I can't believe, you know, he was almost hurt. So it was, anytime we look back on that experience, it wasn't necessarily like a happy experience. It was kind of like, I mean, anytime you get... Screwed over, you know, it it hurts. You know, you get mad about
3: it. Now, that didn't mean Johnny stopped hanging with Carl. Johnny made a choice. He covered for Carl. And he lied to the third officer, who by all accounts was an honest guy who was freaked out by the situation. Michael Gannon, the guy with the Boston accent from DEA Internal Affairs, asked him about it.
6: You knew if he knew Carl did it, it would have potentially been a problem. Correct. Just try to sweep it under
8: the rug. And try to protect Carl and try to protect the whole thing, you know. Carl said, hey, I just did it. You know, I thought it would be fun and all this other stuff. And, well, look, I can handle that, you know. It hurt me, but I'll smooth it out.
3: When you listen to hours of Johnny talking to the feds, two stories stand out. Johnny tells the feds about the first time he says he broke the rules. He and Carl busted a meth dealer and took the dope for testing.
8: At first he was really excited because it was a lot. Hey man, we got over on him. You know, but you could just tell that it looked like salt rocks. You know, Mm -hmm. it didn't look like real ice.
3: It tests negative. It's fake meth. The dealer had tricked Johnny and Carl. Investigators ask about Carl's reaction.
8: I mean, he would have just laughed, you know, but kind of like rhetorical laugh, like, you know, yeah, you're right, it's bullshit, you know.
3: Johnny is pissed, but he remembered something another task force member had said before when they got fake dope. Make it test. As in, make it test positive for meth. So Johnny decides to give it a try.
8: You know, and I kind of said, you know, I wish I could switch or some shit like that, and uh, Carl looked at me saying, you know, I was waiting to see if he was the real police.
3: They go to the office, where they can swap it with real meth from evidence.
8: While Carl was switching in the front office of the Tri Parish, they got a big window, you know, he told me, watch the driveway, make sure nobody was coming down. And I you know, I was so nervous, I was walking back and forth from Miss Carol's office to the front, you know?
6: I mean, we had, so this is like a, a first time that you really do That was something.
8: really like the first time, you know, because I remember... Carl was on the phone, and he was behind me. And I was thinking, you know, he was calling somebody to say, you know, this kid's dirty or whatever. But it was, you know, it never happened.
3: For the record, Carl says that Johnny was the one to switch out the dope. Point is, Johnny was corruptible, and he's professionally ambitious. Faking the evidence here will make this a federal case, which would look good on his record. But this tactic is not something Johnny invented. When Carl takes Johnny under his wing, this is the world Carl's showing him. The second story we're going to go into takes us to rural Kentucky. And this story is important because it shows us the kinds of information they were digging up about Carl and what the feds were planning to do with it. Johnny tells them about a spot Carl liked to visit every year. Carl would say he was going up there for work.
8: But, you know, in reality, you go up to uh, a guy named Chuck's which was, uh, I guess, his mistress's uncle. So he asked me if I wanted to go. By that time, me and him got pretty close.
3: Johnny tells the feds that Carl would change out the license plate on his work truck and bring drugs up to Kentucky. So the feds make a trip up there to dig up some dirt. DEA Internal Affairs talk with one of Carl's mistresses.
9: This gonna be used against me.
5: We're
6: not, against you,
5: no. We're not using
9: this against you. We're we used against him. And...
5: Yes. yes. Let me explain something to you. By Carl being a police officer, by giving you drugs that he got from DEA law enforcement purposes, and then engaging you in a sexual relationship is a misuse of his office. It's a misuse of his authority. We are not allowed to do that. So this is not against you. You're a victim, not yeah. a not a suspect.
3: But she wants nothing to do with it and whatever they might be saying here a lot about her will come out later in
6: court
9: i have no affiliation with this i'm married
10: right
6: yeah well if uh, i have
9: a very old testament husband we'll
6: explain all that to the prosecutor like but I, I like i try to tell you i wouldn't worry about having to testify in court over this because i i, I highly suspect it, it will be a plea agreement
5: We're trying to get Carl to roll on somebody else. Yeah. So in the more the stronger case we have against him, then the better chance he's gonna he's gonna play ball with us. It's not Carl who even want, it's somebody else. So and it's certainly not you. So that's how the game works.
3: What the investigators are saying here is that no matter what she might tell them, they're only really interested in the information because it will help them nail Chad. So to seal the deal, they tell her a little bit about Carl's history.
6: I'm not trying to be here and upset you, but this guy is all, was all over the place with women. Really? Yeah. So I don't know what he would have said. What he said to you, but I need I need to know those things because that's stuff I know. And I'm not trying to keep it from him. I'm not trying to upset you. I'm just trying to be be honest with you.
3: In the end, she talks with them, and she tells them about Johnny and Carl's visit to Kentucky.
9: His reason for. Of bringing Johnny up was I guess he'd come off a case maybe or something best I remember and he wanted to see Kentucky okay he'd never seen it he brought him up here and it's more of a relaxed lifestyle up here a lot of people don't work they four-wheel and stuff like that and, and in the spring everybody goes mushroom hunting up here and it's kind of Carl's big thing is he always wants to go on a mushroom hunt Morels? Yeah. And to bring Johnny and, you know, I guess the live hillbillies, kind of a peep show, because it is kind of nutty, especially at my uncle's holler. You know, crazy hillbillies, mm-hmm. no teeth, you know, big beer belly dudes on four-wheelers, good oh. times.
6: <laughs> well, that, is, that does sound like good times.
3: Johnny's trip to Kentucky seemed pretty innocent, at least from her perspective. But the feds have heard from Johnny well, a lot of things, that Carl brought drugs up there to be sold, that he used drugs to get women to sleep with him, or exchange drugs for sex. The feds
6: aren't really interested in morels. They're looking for dirt. Do you think you did molly yeah. with Carl? Yeah. Well, why do you say you think that?
9: Well, I'm pretty sure it was a capsule.
6: Okay. And he would have you take it
9: <laughs> with yeah, him? I mean, we tried it. He and did that. you
6: recall if that, like, um... Your, it maybe made your inhibitions more prominent or anything like that? Yeah. Well, tell, explain that. Tell me what, what, uh, what you what happened after you used it.
9: Who and was where, where, where were you? It just felt like somebody was grabbing you by the jaws and pulling you down. hmm You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know it's just an experience.
3: This girlfriend said that everything was consensual, but molly or ecstasy or meth Those seem to have been Carl's favorites to use with women. There are many, many stories of Carl taking drugs from evidence and giving them away like Santa Claus. He also had sexual relationships with informants who he provided with drugs. Carl told us one story about hitting the town high on ecstasy with a woman he's seeing right after his wife gave birth to his son. A prosecutor sees him and thinks the woman is his wife. The prosecutor asks about the baby and the woman plays along. Says the baby, he's at home. The stories, they could go on and on. That Carl is kinda hard to square with the lovable lawman who drinks milk for lunch. After digging, prosecutors scare the shit out of him, threaten him with life in prison. Carl talks with his wife from jail.
9: We're really not after you, call. We're the maximum if we go to trial. That thing winds up being a hundred fifty. Yeah. Did you
10: say a hundred fifty? Yeah, life.
9: Holy cow! How can they do that?
5: They can do it.
3: Carl's already been locked up for about a year and he's about to break. All that stuff that they dug up about him, he's not going to be charged with. He's going to take a plea to reduce charges and testify against Chad.
1: While Carl's in jail contemplating his life like a Dostoevsky novel, Chad has been suspended from duty.
8: So I was actually flying back from uh, Kentucky. I was working for a law firm at the time in Kentucky.
1: He's working for a friend. One he does competitive water skiing with. And flying
8: back, walking through the New Orleans International Airport, and I look at the news screen in front of one of the restaurants, and I see Raid on the Tanchville Parish Sheriff's Department and Hammond Police Department.
1: Chad's ally, Sheriff Daniel Edwards, the guy who stuck by Chad, insisted the investigation into Johnny was moving on too soon. He's got himself in the Fed's crosshairs.
8: I mean, it stopped me dead in my tracks, because obviously with what's
1: going on certainly has something to do with this case. Chad's time is running out. That's next time on Smokescreen, Betrayal on the Bayou. Unlock all episodes of Smokescreen, Betrayal on the Bayou, ad-free right now by subscribing to the Binge podcast channel. Not only will you immediately unlock all episodes of this show, But you'll get binge access to an entire network of other great true crime and investigative podcasts, all ad-free. Plus, on the first of every month, subscribers get a binge drop of a brand new series. That's all episodes, all at once. Unlock your listening now by clicking subscribe at the top of the smokescreen show page on Apple Podcasts or visit getthebinge.com to get access wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Smokescreen Betrayal on the Bayou is an original production by Neon Hum Media and Sony Music Entertainment. It was written and produced by Odelia Rubin. It was reported by me, Jim Mustian, and my co-host, Fayman Roberts. Our editor is Catherine St. Louis. She is also Neon Hum Media's executive editor. Our executive producer is Jonathan Hirsch. Sound design and mixing by Scott Somerville. Theme and original music composed by Hansdale Shee. We also use music by Blue Dot Sessions and Epidemic Sound. Our associate producer is Ann Lim. Findle Fulton is our fact checker. Our production manager is Samantha Allison. Alexis Martinez is our podcast coordinator. Special thanks to Stephanie Serrano, Mia Warren, and the third cohort of Editors Bootcamp, who gave us feedback on this episode. And to our DEA consultant, Skip Sewell. We couldn't have made this show without the support of our legal team, including Lauren Pagoni, Rachel Goldberg, and Allison Sherry. I'm Jim Mustian.
1: And I'm Feynman Roberts.
3: If you're enjoying the show, be sure to rate and review. It helps more people find it and hear our reporting. Thanks for listening.